of the things that we have done, but also the things that we have left undone. The things that we should have done, knowing we should have done them and, and chose not to, Lord, forgive us. We ask, O oh Lord, for your strength, for your courage as we go out into the world even today. We ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we walk with you and in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna have you remain standing if you would. Today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. Many of you remember what happened on that day. You remember where you were at. You remember the feelings that you felt some of the shock and awe that we all experienced. And on this day, we remember, we remember what happened. We remember also that in those days immediately following, there was a swell within our churches of people who came, people who said, oh, maybe, maybe there is something about God and I need to know him. I need to know about him. And then shortly after, that faded away. Today, I also want to remember those who were there, those who intended on coming back from work and never did, for those families who expected their loved one to come back and they never did, for those who served and were willing to give their life to, to help others. We want to pause and remember the sacrifices. And so, quietly, before the Lord, would you just give a moment of silence and reflection of those things that occurred? Give a quiet moment even to ask God to stir in our hearts something new and fresh and a fan of flame anew. Let's pause before the Lord and I'll close us in prayer. love you. We especially think of those who had their lives taken. We pray for those families who are still dealing with that loss, that hurt, that grieving. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be so present that it would, it would be tangible in those lives even today. Lord, we're thankful for men and women who were willing to risk their life and who ultimately gave their lives that others could be saved, that others could have life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, encourage those families today, minister to those families. We also think of those around the world who, well, Lord, who hate you who don't have a love for you, who are willing to sacrifice those, kill those who do believe in you. And we pray, Almighty God, that you would do a work in their lives. That, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in those places, in those hearts, in those lives in such a way that uh, they would hear and respond in faith to you. We, 
We hear of your stories, of your greatness, how you've revealed yourselves in dreams. And Lord, we would pray for that even today that you would reveal yourself that there would be a transformation, a repentance of sin and a calling on you as their Savior. Lord, even today, we ask that you would fan the flame in our own hearts. That in a moment, in the United States, we will seem to be walking on the same path. That for a moment, even here, There's a swelling of interest in you. Fan our flames, O Lord. That our hearts would be ignited with rejuvenation and courage to live this life out and glorify you in all things. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. As you're being seated, I want to introduce to you Jason Foreman. Jason is our new adult ministries pastor, or AMP for short, if, uh, you know, that helps. Uh, Jason comes to us from Chicago, and today, Jason, is your first day. So we are super excited to have you and thankful for you, and I wanted to give you a moment to introduce yourself and your family uh, to the congregation, if you would. Welcome, Jason. Yeah, thanks. My, my name is Jason Foreman, like uh, Kenny said. Uh, this is a picture of uh, my beautiful family. Um, so there, obviously, you can see me and uh, my wife. Her name is Jessica. She's holding our youngest son, Rowan, who is seven months old. Um, and I'm holding our oldest son, uh, Cyrus. He's, he's almost three. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's us. We, uh, we come from Chicago. Well, we moved here from Chicago. Uh, my wife is originally from the Twin Cities area, so it's not, uh, doesn't feel like it's too big of a change for us because we're somewhat familiar with this place already. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, you moved from Chicago. What in the world were you doing in Chicago besides growing up? Yeah. I know you grew up there, and then you stayed on purpose. Yeah, yeah, we stayed. When I, when I graduated, did my undergrad, at, um, undergrad in Chicago as well uh, in the western suburbs there, and um, when I graduated there, started as a uh, student ministry pastor um, at a local church there called Pathway, and um, they're a part of the Converge uh, network there. Um, I was doing my uh, MDiv uh, at a seminary nearby as well, um, and then when I graduated from there, I was full-time with them. And so I served for about 10 years as a pastor there, student ministry, uh, small groups, uh, preaching, and then the last 16 months... I've been serving, had been serving there as the interim lead pastor. Uh, the founding pastor had uh, moved on to a new ministry, and uh, the church was searching for uh, somebody to take his position. And so I slipped into that role uh, during the search process, and uh, then we ended up applying to friendship and, and coming up here. So you've, you've had a lot of experience doing a variety of things, and um, so you'll be overseeing things like life groups in the day to come, days to come, you, men's ministry, women's ministry. Uh, you'll be working with Autumn on that. And uh, outreach, and outreach includes acts of friendship. And then Matt had this special place on the document where he wrote really small, but it said, and wash cars. Yeah. I, was, I was surprised <laughs> at that, um, really surprised. Uh, but is there anything in particular? Oh, you'll also be preaching from time to time. You'll be the third 
uh, preacher on campus, either here or over in Prior Lake. Uh, what about this role is exciting for you? What are you looking forward to in the days to come? Yeah, I, I'm a people person. I love uh, relationships, love connecting with people. Um, and so that's probably the, the thing I'm most excited about is to get to know all those different contexts of ministry, um, to just get to know a whole bunch of you in, in all those different areas of ministry and, and start doing life with uh, the people here at Friendship Church. Um, like I said, super relational. And so right after the service is the, uh, the fall kickoff and um, we'll, my family and I will be sticking around for a little bit. So please feel free to come up, introduce yourselves, say hi. Um, I will try my best with your names. Um, I'm, I'm okay with names, but I'm awful with faces. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know how to like fix that or what you can do to help me with that. Um, but I'll try my best to, yeah. to get names down. Um, just because I forgot your name doesn't mean I don't like you, uh, for the most part, <laughs> probably. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, the, I'll just tell you, Jason, they are a very gracious people, and they'll give you a week uh, to, to do it. So that's pretty good. The thing that surprised me, I would say, the most is being in Chicago and being a Packer fan. I was really excited to hear about that, Jason. <laughs> I need to set the record straight. If, if, I don't know if they heard the thud thud as I threw you under the bus on that one. Go ahead. No, today I will be rooting for a Packers loss. <laughs> Not for a Vikings win necessarily. I've, the Bears still have my heart. Oh, I don't know. Now you know how to pray, okay? Uh, no, actually, Jason, we do want to pray for you. Uh, but one of the things that I, I, I would really like for you to share is maybe a, a favorite verse or something that God has been stirring in his word for you lately that just kind of resonates. And maybe you could give that to us just before we pray for you and your family. Yeah. So it would be the whole entire chapter of uh, Psalm 1. And we, my wife and I, we just, we love that psalm. Um, and the, the image there, there's a lot of imagery there, but the image that we hold on to a lot is the image of a tree, a tree that's planted by streams of water. Mm. Um, and we love how that, uh, in, even in creation, God preaches his word uh, where we can be on a walk and, and see streams of water and trees just getting their nourishment mm. and have that remind us if that's who we are uh, because of Jesus. And, and, and we are like that tree that is planted firmly in, in Christ and in his word. And, and that's become something really important for our family. We pray that over our sons uh, as often as we can. We pray Psalm 1 for them, that, that they would walk in wisdom and that they would become like trees planted by streams of water as well. And so we, we love Psalm 1. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Church, would you join me just in this kind of uh, inauguration of Jason and in the beginning of his ministry here? If you join me in prayer, if you feel so comfortable reaching your hand out, we want to lift them up. Lord, uh, we are so thankful for uh, Jason and his family. We're thankful, Lord, for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. And uh, Lord, I've, I've just so appreciated his heart and getting to know him over the last couple of months, Lord, as he's gone through uh, this process. And Lord, it's, it's just very obvious that your hand is on him. And I, I uh, just would affirm even the prayer that he has for uh, his boys. I, I recognize that that's taken shape in his own life, Lord, that he has been planted by streams of living water. And Lord, that, that he bears fruit in season. And I, I just am I'm thankful for Jason. And I look forward to 
uh, these days to come. So Lord, bless the fruit of his hands that uh, as he relies on you, that he would have a sense of your good pleasure and, and see you at work. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for Jessica, and I ask, oh Lord, that you would minister to her even today, that she would have a sense that she's a part of this church family and, and has a place here. Lord, I, I thank you for Cyrus and Rowan, and I, I ask, oh Lord, that you would minister to those boys, and even at an early age, they would have connections that would be life-giving, life-affirming, and life-directing towards you in some big ways. Lord, I thank you for this family. Protect them, protect their hearts, O oh Lord, and strengthen them and give them courage uh, as they, they not, just, not just minister here, Lord, but do life together here. We're thankful for them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you, man. Thank you. Appreciate you. Glad you're here. Amen. Uh, and if, if all of you, you would do me a huge favor if when you see Jason out after the service, if you'd all gather around him and randomly throw your names out, use middle names also. Uh, that would be good, and that will also make the line shorter for me to go through. I'm just kidding. That was, that was bad. Friends, we are starting a new series, and I am very excited to begin it with you. Uh, in this series, we're going to be looking at Jesus through the lens of Mark. Mark is going to identify this Jesus in some very profound ways, in ways that I think will be familiar and will be encouraged by and go, oh, yeah, I've, oh, I love Jesus so much. And there are going to be other ways that perhaps are new and fresh, and you go, oh, I've never really considered Jesus from this perspective. I think that in very real ways, we're going to be encouraged and challenged to love, live, and serve like Jesus in some very impactful ways as we walk through this year together. If you don't have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go there. We're in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. If you're going to be on your phone, that's great. I hope that you have an app that you can highlight, underline, make uh, notes in because there will be a lot of cross-referencing and connections. Additionally, We'll be using a whiteboard throughout our time together. I want to apologize. Uh, I recognize that blue is not the darkest color that we could have used and that it may be difficult where you're sitting uh, to see it. However, when I went snooping for the black markers, I couldn't find them. So uh, I apologize to you, but that is why, rest assured, we'll get a darker marker next week. So uh, that's this. You may actually want to take a picture of it and reference it throughout our time. Uh, I said that in the first service, and I began to talk, and there were a group of people on the side going, move, move, as they got their cameras out. So I am happy to move if you need to take that picture, uh, but it will be very, very helpful for you as we move forward, uh, starting in Mark chapter 1. Uh, oh, hey, that's pretty cool. I didn't even know they could do that. Well done, people upstairs. But I also need my slides. There we go. Yeah. So what we're going to do is walk through this passage together, through the first 13 verses, and reference some things on this board. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. The beginning. Stop. Already you're thinking, we got two words out, and Kenny's stopping us. This is going to be a long sermon. <laughs> yeah, it is. 
Um, but also, this is important. Mark, who is writing this, he wants the hearers, because again, keep in mind that not everyone had the scroll of Mark in front of them. No, they were going to a public place where this was being read out loud. Most were hearing this as opposed to reading it. And Mark begins at the beginning. And he wants those that are hearing and reading for their brain to go somewhere. Where do you think that might be? Genesis chapter 1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, right? He wants their brains to go there for some reason. It's going to become clearer as we go through this passage, but I, I want to share a couple of things. We're going to start with the, the issue of kingdoms. From the very beginning, there is one kingdom, in creation, there is one kingdom, and it's God's, and it is clearly God's. And there is no separation between uh, flesh and spirit. It is all just God's kingdom played out in front of them. God is present, and God is ruling, and God allows some freedom. And in his creation, he tells Adam to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that fruit of everything else. You can participate. You enjoy. But that one, no. That you can't do. And so right from the very beginning, we see an issue. And that's this. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 something occurs. Satan shows up in the garden and tempts Eve with what I call the first satanic principle, and that is to challenge the word. Did God really say? It's a challenge of the word. He manipulates and twists and perhaps confused, perhaps, Eve responds but I want you to see how she responds and specifically what happens. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, if you have your Bibles, underline that, good for food. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 deals with this world system. The world system says lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is the world system. And I want you to see how it creeps in because it starts right here. She sees that it's good for food. It's lust of the flesh. She's being tempted. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Hmm, there's something there. And a tree desirable to make one wise. The pride of life. All three things are present in this temptation in this one kingdom. And in one fell swoop, one kingdom becomes two. Then the eyes, or I'm sorry, uh, da, 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 da. she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. There is a separation that has occurred here, a hiding that occurs in this second kingdom. But the second kingdom, if you want to call it the 
kingdom of the flesh or the kingdom of humankind. Uh, It's been called those things. But this kingdom, like a plague, goes all over the earth as Adam and Eve are separated from Eden. This kingdom starts to swell around the earth. And it takes over. So that the the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are suddenly things that everybody deals with. It's the world that we swim in. We can't get away from it. And it's this kingdom of humankind or kingdom of the flesh. And yet, God has called us to something different. And that's what we're going to see here in just a moment, that there is... uh, Something new that is about to occur. And here it is. The gospel. Oh, there's good news? Wait, in the beginning, something happened. Two kingdoms formed. There's the kingdom of God, but then there's this kingdom of the flesh that has uh, been separated from the kingdom of God. And these two don't really go together. You're either serving the flesh or you're serving God, but you're not doing both at the same time. And so what is it? What is happening? What is the good news, Mark? And Mark's going to tell us that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The gospel certainly means good news. It's good news because there's bad news. The bad news is that there is a second kingdom, and that second kingdom we belong to by default because of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that produces sin in us. And we live in that kingdom, but there's good news. And if, if you look closely, it's not the gospel about Jesus. It's, it's not the, the gospel that Jesus shares It's the gospel of Jesus. Jesus is the good news. We we want you to know that Jesus is the good news. If we know nothing about anything beyond this moment, we know this, that Jesus is the focus, that there is no good news without Jesus because Jesus is the good news. And it's an important piece of the puzzle because often in Western Christianity, we like to separate those things and we like to talk about them as if they're two different things. Oh yeah, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He conquered sin and death, but my response is to receive him as my savior and I have eternal life as if those are two different things. Always it's focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Don't lose it. It's not a separate message. It's always Jesus. Jesus Christ, the son of God. There there are some things that we need to know about this. Uh, Let's start at the back part. Son of God. What is that telling us? Well, Mark wants us to know that God shows up. God is here. Now, we can go into the depths of how he's referred to, how this messianic figure is referred to in the Old Testament. We're not, we don't have time for that today, but let's just, let's just pause to say, the Son of God, this is God showing up. God, here he is. And, and not just that, but he's the Christ. He's the anointed one. There's something unique and special uh, about this person, Jesus, and that is that he is anointed uniquely and specifically by the Father. But then there's his name, Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua. Like There's something different. Oh, what does it mean? Well, it, it means Yahweh saves. His name means Yahweh saves. 
So we have that God shows up, that he is uniquely anointed for this mission of good news, and that his name is God saves, and this God is going to save. And we see all of that in this first line in Mark chapter 1. We can't miss that Jesus is the focus, he's the point. This is not going to be a a book about ways to be better. It's not going to be a book about the things we might ought to do. It's going to be a book focused on Jesus, and as we focus on Jesus, we're going to see how Jesus gives and models this kingdom, God's kingdom, what we sometimes call the kingdom way. And so we want to focus our attention in on that as we watch throughout this passage kind of uh, the birthing of these principles that are lived out later on in the New Testament, and certainly in the lives of the saints. So hang in there with me as we walk through this. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. If you have your pen, go ahead and underline the word straight there. It's an important word. In fact, I want to encourage you, it's so important, you should probably underline it 12 times. Why would I ask you to underline it 12 times? Because in this first chapter, this word is used 12 times. In Semitic writing, you know, and especially during this, this time, uh, when something is used multiple times, when a word is being brought up multiple times in a relatively short time, you need to draw your attention to it. Like, what does this mean? Well, why would you keep using it? In the passage that we're going to deal with, the first 13 verses, this word is going to be used three times. This is the first time. Another way of translating this word, or another way that it's used, rather, is immediately. It's immediate. Like, our attention needs to be on this. Our focus is right there. This is immediate. It's important. And this chapter is going to draw us into it because of its importance. Watch and see how it develops. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, great word, baptizing. Uh, the idea here is, uh, it comes from an ancient practice of having a vat, like a vat of dye, for example, and taking a, 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 a piece of clothing, sticking it in the dye, swirling it around, pulling it out, hey, uh, yeah, that's the color that I want, or no, that's not purple enough. Okay, it's going back down. We're immersing it into this, uh, into this dye to get the color of the dye that we want. Baptizing. Uh, Mark is trying to tell us something, that there is a baptism, there is an immersion that's taking place, and that this immersion is a ritualistic practice that we're going to see specifically for the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Don't miss the implication. What is the implication? As Jesus is being revealed, there is an implication. And that's that. Sin is not supposed to be a part of God's kingdom. Like, don't miss it. It's subtle. But practicing sin is not the kingdom way. There is a call to repentance that John leads with for Jesus to start his ministry. He's starting in this place, and we'll see this more as this chapter develops in the days to come. 
But the idea, again, that I can't emphasize enough, is that practicing sin is not the kingdom way. It's not God's plan. It's not part of his kingdom. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles. Hold it there in Mark and turn to 1 John chapter 3. I like the way that 1 John chapter 3 spells it out. So if we're taking kind of a a subtle uh, call here, let's see if it fleshes out in the New Testament, and indeed it does. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says it this way. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. Wow, that's kind of harsh. Um, and, and you may look at that and even struggle in your own heart. Like, what does that mean? Well, again, the idea is practicing. Okay? Uh, he who practices sin, he who gets really good at sinning, is of the devil. In other words, he's saying this, that those who are following Jesus are not practicers of getting really good at sinning. Oh man, I'm a pretty good liar, but I think I could get better. No, that's not the kingdom way. That's not what, is, uh, what we are called to in this kingdom way. And so we see it played out, not just as a principle here, but also in the New Testament and lived out. Fact is, a little bit later, we'll have communion. Part of the reason that we have communion every week is because of this very issue. You know, through the course of the week, there may be some things that we just just didn't do. Now, I know God's calling me to love my neighbor, but their dogs are really loud and I don't really love my neighbor. Whatever the excuse is, right? Uh, You know what? My, My spouse is really fill in the blank. And... We have some sin that's in our heart. Uh, Communion is a time for us to repent. The word repent, or the idea here of repentance is a changing of mind and a movement towards God. We do that because this has been the practice of the church since the very beginning. And this is a part in subtle ways that we're called to even in Mark chapter 1. And so it is with us even today. We have to ask some hard questions in my practicing sin? Am I getting really good at sin? John introduces Jesus' public ministry with this call. We'll see it lived out even more here in just a moment. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Great word there has this idea of proclamation, of of thankfulness to God. It's saying what God already knows, but it's also the confession of sin. We're saying, God, I know you already know this, but there's a dark spot in my heart. Like, I I am having problems loving my neighbor. I'm having problems loving my spouse. I'm having whatever it is. That's sin, and I'm sorry. And I'm no longer going this way. I'm repenting and I'm following you. This happened uh, early on with John as Jesus is beginning his public ministry. By him in the Jordan River confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I've been trying to convince Matt to do this sometime. Uh, I'll let you know how that works out. And he preached saying, 
After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, there, there is this call in this moment, and I don't want to miss it. I'm baptizing with water. So here's the picture. That in a ritualistic way of dedicating myself to the Lord, I am entering into this water that represents God's mercy and grace that is cleansing me. That, that's the emphasis with John here. But this Messiah who's coming, who is to come, John says, he's, his baptism is a little bit different. His is the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit that you are immersed in doesn't just, doesn't just clean you up. It transforms you. So if we have this idea, this concept, that just in and of ourselves, we're going to get really good at being righteous. Without God, it doesn't work that way. In fact, just like I led with, this is about Jesus, this is really about Jesus. Like our, that good news is about Jesus, this salvation is about Jesus. The reception of our salvation is about Jesus. And uh, it takes place even in this for the believer. The indwelling spirit is needed in this kingdom way. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that there, no one is born again without the indwelling spirit, the Holy Spirit. It, it doesn't happen. Sometimes, and I'll just tell you, this is my fear. As a pastor, this is my fear is that we can sometimes get really good at arguing the case for the gospel. Like, you know what, you're a sinner. Yep, I know that. Well, you need Jesus. Yep, that's probably true. Okay, well, say this prayer. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Uh, I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. Amen. Uh, whatever that sounds like. And we've won an argument, and we've convinced people to say great things. But the Spirit of God never indwelt them. And that's a problem. Because now, they're deceived in thinking, oh, I'm all good. Everything's fine. Because I said a prayer one time. Nothing has ever changed in their life, but I said a prayer one time. And our faith isn't in a prayer. Our faith is in Christ. And as we have faith in Christ, we know that his part is to indwell us. And we're indwelled by the Spirit of God. And so, we go back to this issue of sinning. We don't get really good at practicing sin. Why? Because the Spirit of God indwells us. And as we start down that road, we start getting this thing called conviction. Right? I'm convicted. This is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Or maybe we're walking in ignorance. We just didn't know. I'll give you an example. I remember one time, uh, and maybe I've even shared this one other time, uh, but when I first became a Christian, I was so excited. I was enthusiastic. I was telling all my friends. My friends, uh, I thought they would hear it better if I could somehow present it in a way that was relevant to them. So I cussed a lot. And as I cussed a lot to share the gospel so it would be relevant to them, one of my friends, who was a Christian for a long time, waited patiently. At the end, he came up to me and said, man, Kenny, I love your heart. Also, let me just show you something. And he takes me to the scriptures where that kind of language is not okay. I shouldn't be cussing. I shouldn't be speaking vulgarly. And he proved it in the scriptures. 
immediately the Spirit of God is convicting me. This isn't about my buddy telling me I'm doing something wrong. This is about God saying, Kenny, let me show you what is right. Okay, I can, can, I can change. I can repent, and I can follow you, Jesus. And perhaps you've had that same experience, that the Spirit of God dwelling in you, maybe you were ignorant about something, and I mean that in a very specific sense. You didn't know. It was revealed to you, and once it was revealed, oh, this was hard. This is difficult. The Spirit of God is, I can't keep down this road. I know it's not right. I'm not going to practice sin. The indwelling spirit is a part of the promise that we get. Go ahead and turn now to John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. John chapter 5, we'll read through a few verses starting uh, in verse 15. It says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Who is this helper? Well, we'll find out in just a few moments. That he may abide with you forever. So whoever this helper is is going to stay with us forever. Who is this? These are the people that love God, who are obeying his commandments, that have surrendered to him. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Who is this? Skip down uh, to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, here it is, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. This Holy Spirit that indwells the believer is, uh, is needed in the kingdom of God. That is different than the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of the flesh. It's separate. It's different. Let's keep looking and watch and see how Jesus reveals himself and, and really uh, reveals the kingdom of God in such a way that, that, that we have a model. Let's continue on. Uh, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately, there's that word again, underline it if you have your Bibles, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Imagine being there on that day. How cool would that be? Now, before we go down that road, let me just ask the question, did Jesus need to be baptized because he was repenting of sin? Because that's what John says, that this baptism is for the repentance of sin. Well, the answer obviously is no. Well, we know that Jesus was without sin. Otherwise, his sacrifice doesn't count. He's without sin. He's God in the flesh. That just didn't happen. He didn't sin. But he was baptized. Now, this baptism, in, in part, is for, uh, for all righteousness. In other words, he's fulfilling all righteousness by being baptized. He's modeling what we're to do. He's also being baptized for us, just like he goes to the cross for us. He's being baptized for us, that there is an opening now to go from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven. And we see this played out uh, even subtly in this passage, Jesus being baptized for us, just like he's going to take our sins on the cross. 
just like he's going to raise from the dead and give life to anybody who calls on him. Now, in that moment, when the father says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased, wouldn't you think that like, okay, this is the height, like this is the new standard that we live in. I am, I am following the Lord. The Lord is pleased with me. All things are good. There's not going to be any problems. Let's see what happens. And he was in the, or whoops, the spirit immediately, there's that word again, go ahead and underline it, drove him out into the wilderness. The spirit immediately does this. Okay, yep, this is the height, but guess what? You're going to the wilderness, and why? And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Led by the Holy Spirit to a place where he's being tempted. Well, that doesn't seem fair. Um, but yet that's how it happens. Now, uh, we could give a half dozen or more examples of this throughout the New Testament. Perhaps we could even look at the lives of the saints from the beginning until now and see this pattern happen often. Perhaps you can even go, you know what? I remember that day I followed Jesus. I was baptized. I gave my testimony publicly, and shortly thereafter, the bottom fell out or whatever it is. There was a, an extreme temptation that was very difficult to deal with. Uh, it's not uncommon. In fact, Jesus had to deal with it. And for us to think that we're uh, just going to live in the kingdom of God and dwell there and not ever be impacted uh, by the world around us is foolish. And it's not even biblical. So let's, let's look at this. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And we, we hear that and we go, oh, oh, okay, well, a few, few sentences and that covers those 40 days. Well, Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 deal with those days specifically. And it's super interesting to see how Satan tempted him. I, I wonder if you'll catch on to it as well. Uh, by the way, in Matthew and in Luke, uh, the order isn't the same, but it's the same temptations, just so you know. So Matthew, as he goes about it, he says this, that Satan goes and he tempts Jesus by turning the stones to bread. Okay, well, you know, he's hungry. He's fasting. If you've ever fasted, you know how much you like food. To do it for 40 days, that's a long time. And Satan goes, hey, I don't know, son of God, you're hungry. Prove Prove that you're the Son of God, right? Turn these stones to bread. And Jesus responds with the Word of God. Now, it's interesting because if, if, if you would think about it, there, there's this challenge for, for food. Anybody else challenged with food that, that we talked about earlier? Like in Genesis chapter 3? Yeah, she saw it, right? She saw that it was good. Continuing on, he says, he takes Jesus to a place and throw yourself down. Like you're exhausted. I don't know if you, again, if you've ever fasted, you know you get tuckered out pretty quick. Jesus has been doing this for a while and he takes him to a high place. Well, you can walk all the way down or climb down. Why don't you just jump? Prove that you're the son of God. Jump down. Your angels will take care of you. No problem. He even twists scripture to get there. Again, we see that in uh, Genesis as well. Uh, but Jesus uses the word of God and overcomes. 
we would have eyes to see it, we may see that he's also dealing with life here, the pride of life. Save yourself. Jump down. Pride of life. That happen anywhere? Yeah. In Genesis chapter 3, when the second kingdom came flooding into the world. And then finally, Satan takes Jesus and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. This could all be yours if you just worship me. Now, to you and I, that sounds ridiculous, and I get that. It, it is ridiculous. But I also want you to understand Jesus was no fool, and he knew what he was about to go through, that he was going to have to go through the cross, that he was going to have to give his life, that it was going to be difficult. Not just that, but the emotional struggle of people who say they love you and turn their back on you, who run away from you. The loved ones that you've cared about are going to turn you in, even family members who don't uh, who don't understand you, who don't get you and talk about you behind your back. Jesus has all of that in front of him too. And maybe this temptation is a little bit greater than we could even think. And maybe we've even been tempted like this to say, well, okay, uh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll take what you're offering here, uh, Satan. But I'm, I'm still going to point people to God. It's just not going to be as, you know, upfront about it. I'm I'm just going to kind of, I don't know, be subtle. I've seen it a thousand times. And then suddenly this strong, passionate relationship with God just kind of fades away. Thankfully, Jesus responds with the word of God and has victory. And that victory that is his is a victory that is offered to us. Victory is given over the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If you want some other words to kind of help us categorize it, maybe uh, a little bit easier for our brains, let's use these words. The lust of the flesh would be satisfaction. What are those things that I, I need satisfaction? I want this thing so bad. I'm willing to lie. I'm willing to cheat. I'm willing to sin to get it. What is that satisfaction? That's lust of the flesh. And Jesus uh, wants us to have victory over that. In fact, he's provided victory over that in his spirit. Not just that, but lust of the eyes. Let's use another word for that. Let's call it significance. You know, if I just have these letters after my name or before my name, if uh, people know that I've accomplished these sorts of things, then they'll respect me. And I really like to be respected. I really love that a lot, actually. And anything that we start putting in front of God and we say, I am willing, or we live out rather, we generally don't say it, but I am willing to sin to get this thing, it's a problem. We're living in the kingdom of the flesh. And finally, there's this, this other one, this pride of life. We might call it security. And I'll tell you in the West, we have a real struggle with that idol. Most of the prayers, many, I won't say most, many of the prayers we pray are, keep us safe. What if that's not God's plan? What if that's not the best way to experience God? What if the best thing that could happen is experiencing God in the midst of tragedy? Security can become an idol really fast, really quick. And Jesus gives victory over it and offers it to us as well. This is a kingdom way. Jesus gives and he models this kingdom and it is a challenge for us to live it out. 
The worship team's going to come out here in just a moment as we prepare for communion. And this time of preparing for communion, is it really is a beautiful time for us to say, you know what, am, am I really living this out? Am I practicing sin? If so, I need to repent. Uh, it, does the Holy Spirit indwell me? If so, we, we need to, if so, great. If not, then we need to have conversations. You're not in trouble, but let's just work through it. Uh, let's see what God might do. And then am I getting victories over, over sin in my life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not my will? Uh, these are good questions, and that's part of the reason that we have communion weekly. And so uh, with that in mind, I want to remind us that we have, whoa, let me help. No, you're great. I appreciate it. That could have been exciting, friends. Yeah. Whew. Uh, yeah, you, you talk, everybody just jumps up and gets really excited all of a sudden. Uh, there's a revival. Uh, <laughs> but you have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to uh, just calibrate our hearts to the Lord, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We encourage you to come down the uh, carpet aisles and go to uh, the station that's nearest you. Get both the bread and the cup and return to your seat and then we'll participate together. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we need you. We thank you and praise you and ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted. Thank you for your word and that it's true. And that, Lord, you have, you have called us out of the kingdom of the flesh and into this kingdom of the spirit, the kingdom of God. And you've provided a way. In fact, you are the way, the very good news that we need. And so we reach out to you, Lord. We call on your name. In Jesus' name, amen.